Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and my co-host with me today is John. John, how you doing, buddy? I am great. I am no longer in 95 degree heat. Yes, this is week two of your of being co-host too, so I know the extra paychecks are helping out a lot. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> the extra money helps uh, helps you go an extra mile. So, uh, not not a ton of stuff to talk about today. Actually, like story wise, there wasn't really anything that really caught my attention that had a lot of substance to it. A couple of little ones we want to talk a little bit about. Doctor Disrespect being permanently banned from Twitch, and then we're going to talk about. Andy McNamara, and if you don't know who that is, he is the editor-in-chief at Game Informer, and he was for 29 years. <laughs> 19 years or 20? Yeah, 29 years. He's 29 years, Almost yeah. 30 years he's been at Game Informer, and he is leaving. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and then, <clears throat> excuse me, whenever we have kind of a light week, John and I wanted to go back to one of our favorite things to do, which is we we pulled five more unique and weird things from our collections to talk about. And I, and I don't know, I really, John, I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I love that. I, I love that, like, I love talking about the news, the gaming news, right? Because I like to be informed. I think it's cool. But yeah. on, the, on the flip side, I love just talking about things that I know as far as, like, the collecting cool side of things yes. uh, as opposed to just, like, the news side of it. So we're going to talk about five unique things. And I don't have a rant this week, John, but I have a cool story. So we're just going to tell the cool story okay. instead. Um, so to, to kick this whole thing off this week, basically, and I know you saw it on Twitter, um, I last Friday I bought an incredible piece of video game display history. So I, I uh, someone reached out to me on Facebook and said, "Hey, I've got this huge Mario statue. It's 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 like plastic. It's not really a statue. It's like a, they call it, it. It was created using blow molding, and it's like a hollow plastic display. But it's huge, seven feet tall, like a five foot wingspan. It is massive because I've seen Greg next to it, and it dwarfs him. Yeah, and and it's, I it's am like massive. three Gregs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so you know, he reached out to me last week." And he said, you know, and he, he just said, hey, I've got this cool piece. I'm moving to Florida. I don't want to take it with me. You know, I've seen statues of Mario sell for four or $5,000 on eBay, and I want to sell my statue. Would you buy it? And I'm like, man, that's tough. And I said, so I'll reach out. I said, let me, let me, hit, my, let me hit my contacts. So I hit some of the people who I know do a lot of trading in the merchandise side of things, whether it's world and nintendo cabinets signage a lot of this a lot of the stuff that was never sold in stores and so these guys have seen a lot of sales back and forth private and on auction sites and so i reached out to somebody there and you know he said two to three thousand dollars was the value he said probably closer to two he's he's only ever seen them sell for two he's never seen one sell for three and i was like okay well that's that's good information um, it kind of sucked because I think the guy selling it to me was like he had seen Mario statues that were smaller, but sold for five or six thousand, uh, four or five thousand. And okay. those Mario statues are actual statues, though. Like they weigh like fifty pounds, and they're like plaster, um, I, I think. or fiberglass, like my uh, Sonic. <clears throat> yeah, something like that. And there's one at uh, in Oshkosh at Start Over Games. Rob has one, super cool. 
uh, they and those were actually hand painted in Wisconsin. It's a really really cool story about those. Oh weird. Um, yeah, uh, one guy by Robin the by yeah. Robin the Nintendo rep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she probably was working for Nintendo back then. Um, I miss Robin. She's a sweetheart. Um, so, um, you know, so so I had that. And then uh, at the same time, so th- this thing came out of a Best Buy store. So in the nineties, y- you would have um, in the in the nineties, uh, Best Buy's electronic department had this huge Mario, and right next to it was a huge Sonic. So clearly, like they must have gotten permission, I would think, but it wasn't made by Nintendo technically. Like the statue yeah. was bought Best Buy, like commissioned it somebody to make it exactly and so i looked on ebay for the sonic one and the sonic one there was one that sold last month for five thousand dollars holy crap so i I was to the point where okay that's my range two thousand to five thousand that's the range of the the worth of this thing and realistically mario is more collectible than sonic so to to say that Um, sonic some people would beg to differ well I just say, like, in the, in the, in the general merchandising market, you know, but yes, obviously, you know, but I would say, like, in the general merchandising market, Mario's more massively traded. And the, the person I talked to who gave me the initial two to 3,000, he actually said that this piece is less collectible because it's such a pain in the ass to ship. It's a lot harder to get. <laughs> it's so big. It's so it's it's like fragile compared to a statue. And uh, and so, you know, whatever. So I had my range and I reached out to the guy and I said, Hey, you know, this is my research. This is where it took me. It's between 2000 and 5,000. I said, honestly, I don't even think I can make a fair offer. And I almost passed on it. And I kind of gave him that like out. And I said, well, I, I just really don't know what to sell it for. So I think, you know, I just don't think I'm going to be able to make an offer at this time. And then he came to me with an offer <clears throat> and he said, would, would you pay this much? And that number was basically the maximum in my head that I said I would pay. And it was it was less than he had been saying the statue was worth when he was saying the four and five thousand numbers. So I was like, okay, well, there's actually some wiggle room here. Like we might be able to make this work. Um, and so uh, we were able to come to a deal. It, it it's gonna sound really shady, but I'm not I'm not talking price on it yet. Um, I, I'm not I might talk in the future about what I paid for it, but it was it was a mixture of like, you know cash and product and it was kind of it was kind of a thing yeah yeah you know um smooches you know stuff like that um but anyway um i have somebody coming friday to look at it really that quickly yeah and i'm very surprised i'm very surprised by that i did not expect that piece to sell that quickly And, and it hasn't sold yet so like you know counting your chickens and all that <clears throat> but uh well we'll see he's cu- he's coming from a couple hours away though just to look huh. at it so that tells me it's somebody really serious and he showed me his game room where he wants to put it and he's got some really cool stuff there's like the panasonic gamecube and there's nice. he's got the the char gundam gamecube he's got that weird japanese like the i forget what the name of the what team it is but it's like the the the, the tokyo uh, tigers potion Hoshin Tigers, Thank I believe you. it is. Hoshin, yeah. So he's got that one in the box. Like, there's really cool stuff there. So, I mean, he knows his stuff. So I'm very Is this curious. guy on Reddit? Because uh, I saw, like, th- there have been a number of people on Reddit that have posted GameCube collections that consist of those in the last couple months. He he might have. Um, There's actually a guy who comes to my store a lot who is really big into GameCube that way, and he's looking for all the systems and everything um so i did as one does and i i tweeted it out did did pretty good there posted it to reddit got my 1100 karma 
And uh, and it was funny how many people were on Reddit were like, "Hey, I recognize this store. Is this Game Trade?" And I know you were <laughs> you were like joking about it to a couple people, but like there was legitimately. Like, and then a guy came in today. His name's Jaden. He came in today and was like, "Oh yeah, I saw your post on Reddit. It was super cool." And I was like, "Yeah, that is cool." You know, like it's weird because my my Reddit username is Brothers Insanity, which is what I used to youtube under with my brother <laughs> so it, it's 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 weird because that doesn't have any connection to game trade like i should have just a game trade reddit account that i use for liking and upvoting all that stuff i mean i don't i only use reddit to really go to those subs so it's not like if you go looking in my comments you're gonna find anything dirty i mean it's it's like everything that i do is just gaming sub related anyway dark souls wf no mercy post stuff like that yeah um, well and then you could you could have your business account and then you could translate or transition brothers insanity into the, the kinkier parts of Reddit. Exactly. Then I can take yeah. myself off the grid, which is the whole point. Right. Um, so I'm foregoing my rant today to tell that little story. It's, it's such a neat piece, you know, and it, it's like something that if it never sold, it could stay behind the counter forever. And I actually, we, yeah. we, I put it right behind the counter. So he's like right behind us at all times. It's such, it's so cool. Like I feel like when you walk into used game stores, there needs to be something kind of iconic like that. And it's so cool. And the color's still super bright on it. There's some yellowing where the white used to be, but for the most part, the color, the paint's really good. Like the guy, the guy that I bought it from worked at Best Buy in the nineties. When they did a remodel, they threw these things in the dumpster and he told me that he <laughs> crawled into the dumpster. He dug out the Mario. His friend and him dug out the Sonic. His friend put the Sonic in his convertible and drove away. And then okay, he, that's that's really funny, which is hilarious. <laughs> we'll and, get to that. Why that's funny in a bit. <laughs> and then, uh, and then uh, he took the Mario and he basically stored it for twenty years. Took good care of it too. But since he was moving, he's like, I can't, I can't justify keeping this thing through another move and so then he's like you know it's time to go and he's like you know and i want to go someplace where it'll be you know treated well and respected and then i look at it and i go and it's my job to find that home it's not my job to to give the island of misfit toys you know like to give the misfit toys their their home it's to find someone to take them in and and i take a lot of pride in that and so uh and so yeah hopefully we'll find it a home soon so john why is it funny in particular about the uh the the convertible so the sonic that i have sitting next to me uh i when i originally bought it off ebay i had it shipped to the comic book store that i was working at okay uh in green bay and in order to get it home i took it out of the gigantic box and then i put it into the passenger seat of the little uh bmw uh mz4 convert or z3 convertible i had mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh drove it across town <laughs> and so sonic's head was sticking above the the roof line <laughs> of the convertible <laughs> and like so i got it all snugged in real nice and then i started backing up and and leaving the comic book store parking lot and as i'm like slowly driving through the parking lot Somebody got an offender bender because they were staring at me with Sonic in my passenger seat and not paying attention to driving. <laughs> See, now, that I would actually give someone a pass. If I saw that, I'd probably get into an accident, too. So, yeah, apparently Sonic uh, has a history of riding in convertibles. That's amazing. That's great. Hey, the, you know, got to go fast and all that. Do you have any... Um, uh, any memories of 
the Mario and Sonic giant things in Best Buy? Because I don't remember ever seeing those. No, but I grew up in a really small town. We didn't have a Best Buy. Um, and I never went to a Best Buy before I moved to Green Bay, I don't think. And so really, cause you were in, you were North of Wausau a little bit, weren't you? And Wausau's had one for a long time. No, we were, we were, um, like East of Stevens point. So Wausau was 45 minutes away. Okay. Um, and so we, if we went to town, quote unquote, we went to point and point didn't have a Best Buy at that time. Okay. Like they do now, but, um, yeah. So like we, I was unfamiliar with that store in general. Um, so I don't remember ever seeing them. I like, cause I, I was 16 in. 97 um so like it might have been gone by then <clears throat> as well um yeah but when i was driving around and drive my own car i would go to stevens point and, like if i ever bought games it was just walmart or shopco and then every now and then i would go up to to wasa to go to like um i forget the name of that stupid mall already <laughs> <laughs> i can't believe i can't i worked there for a long time you think i would know um but uh it's gone now isn't it <laughs> It is. Uh, I think it's still there. Isn't it still there? Uh, I think they're turning it into some sort of mis- mixed-use mm. facility. I know the GameStop is gone. Yeah, the last time I was there, I feel like it was very empty. Like, it was barely 50% occupancy, I think, when I was there last. But uh, but in any case, yeah. So, uh, so I mean, just a, kind of a neat piece of history. And uh, ho- Now, the guy that is interested in buying it, he told me he has a Luigi that looks just like this one. And, and that's even more weird because Luigi in the '90s they weren't putting him on anything promotional. Like he didn't have he didn't shine until the early 2000s, mid 2000s. So I, I don't yeah it's like whatever Luigi he has I'm like very curious to see a picture of it. And I asked him for I was, it. I was going to ask if you had gotten a picture of it from him. He said he was going to bring a picture on his phone when he when he came to pick it up or when he came to look at Mario. So it'd be really interesting to see. So, um, but, uh, let's, let's get into the stories, man. Let's, let's, let's hit the ground running and I'm, I'm going to, we're going to start with talking about the, uh, Andy McNamara. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about his article on game informer, where he talks a little bit about what he's going to do. And then, and then John, I'll kind of let you go take it from there because you, I know you've been a fan of his for a lot longer. Personally, I, I had like a negative run in with him at manager conference one year, <laughs> of course. Right. I know you're just like, you're just like, yeah, of course Greg did, but you know, I, and it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like I got this really weird arrogance, arrogant sense from him. And so ever, ever since then I've been very like, I don't care. Um, <laughs> I don't care about what he has to say about anything. Um, but I think this is a big deal still. And, and I, a, game informer is the last, gaming magazine to exist it survived like like taco bell and demolition man it survived the gaming magazine wars it's the only one left every gaming <laughs> magazine is game informer um so let me let me start the article here <clears throat> it was uh yesterday it was put up andy mcnamara it's hard to say goodbye uh i was 19 when the first issue of game informer released back in 1991 <clears throat> it was a dream come true there i was in print official i had done something that I and my parents thought was impossible. I turned my love of video games into a job. By some miracle, I've had that job my whole adult life. I worked hard, moved up, and had the pleasure of being part of Game Informer every step of the way. However, this is where that journey ends. After 327 issues, I'm stepping away from games journalism. So note, he doesn't just say he's leaving Game Informer. He's stepping away from games journalism. Um, uh, He goes on to say... Uh, down here over the last 29 years i've had the privilege to work with so many talented and amazing people 
Andy Reiner, who's the new editor-in-chief taking over for him, he has worked side-by-side with for 26 years. That's pretty incredible. Not only one person being there that long, but two people. Um, Yeah. That's that's, that's really impressive. Uh, And it says something about their workspace, too. Like, they obviously liked what they did. Um, Game Informer... So they were they were at Game Informer before GameStop. So I'm trying to think, John. I might have to, I'm a little fuzzy on this, right? So wasn't Game Informer originally a Funko Land thing? Yes, it was a yeah. Funko Land like newsletter, yeah. and it was like very small compared to what it is now. Yeah, and and so then GameStop bought Funko Land, uh, obviously bought the Game Informer, and then. But GameStop put a bunch of money into Game Informer to, like, make it into a legit magazine. Um, I think they saw a value in it. And then ultimately they tied it, as we all know now, but this is way back when. This is I don't know how long I had been with the company, maybe a year. I remember when we had cardboard little paper cards that you would, when someone bought a Game Informer subscription, you would hole punch an expiration month. So, like, say it was June, you would hole punch June you know, 2002 as the expiration of the card. And that and like, we didn't have barcodes to scan to give a discount. Like they would just show it almost like they'd have to have it laminated. So it would last. It was that crappy. It was kind of like your social security card. It was cardboard back then. <clears throat> it was paper. Yeah. It was paper card. Initially, okay. Which is crazy. Cause um, I, I still have my God awful one from like 2004 where it was 10 bucks um and then you did the same thing you punched a hole in the expiration month and then the the barcode to scan for the customer number was printed on one of the the price labels yeah and now as a as a um customer i was always told there was no way to look up your information if that barcode got screwed up. Correct. Is that actually true? One hundred percent correct. <laughs> yeah. So, so like if 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 you have a particularly sweaty ass and it faded out that uh, that barcode, you'd have to buy another membership in order to get the discount. Yeah, we started putting scotch tape over it. Like you'd you'd print the label, put it on there, and then you'd put a piece of clear tape around it. Yeah, they were awful, but I still have that, and I also I also still have my uh, my last um, discount card from EB Games as well. <laughs> nice. So the the funny thing about the card you have on the front of that card was like a it was like twenty different or thirty different pictures, little squares of games. Yep. And I was like the only person working there that like could name every game. <laughs> on the cover, which is funny because we talk about that right like i did that little game with jordan where he would ask me what's on the cover of a game and you know we're going to integrate that one of these days like we're going to integrate the you're going to you're going to come at me with like uh, a, a game a u.s released game and i'm going to tell you what's on the cover we're, we're going to get that started maybe next week we'll do that oh we'll man that, that sounds fun um <laughs> now how many do <laughs> How many games do you want me to bring to this little uh, experiment? Well, so what I'd like to do is I'd like to do like one every week. You know, like I want to just be like a, just a part of the show where you you just pick a game like Perfect Weapon for PS1. And then I look at it and I go, oh, yeah, there's like some stupid guy doing like like a crotch punch, blah, blah, blah. That's not actually what's on the cover. The guy's doing like a jump kick and it it's one of the worst games ever. 
Um, <laughs> it's actually it, funny enough. It's in my pickup pile this week. That's why it was on my brain, I think. But okay. <laughs> um, but anyway, I want to get that integrated because Jordan and I want to do like a video about that, like do a video series where it's almost like the, that old show is like stump the Schwab, the Schaub, you know, like I, I, I want, I want to do that. Like I want to, I want to take on that challenge, you know, because that's the one thing that like, I can't remember my wife's friend's names and I can't remember my parents' phone number, but I can tell you what the cover of, you know, state of emergency looks like on PS2. <laughs> so really important stuff, priorities and all that. All um, right. I'm definitely going to do that next week. So, uh, so going on though, uh, uh, Andy does go on to say, I'm not leaving the game industry. So my time with these lovely people is not done. It will just no longer take place under the game informer banner unless they invite me to be a guest on one of their shows uh to the fans of game informer there's no way to convey the depth of gratitude for your support from print and online to our shows and podcasts you've always been the reason we do what we do you are all part of the game informer family the team here is so talented you will barely notice my absence please support them and all they do it is just time for me to try something new cheers um so so the other interesting thing here is he says that he's not leaving the gaming industry. So he's leaving games journalism, not leaving the gaming industry. So John, you we were talking in the pre-show. You had an interesting theory about that, and and I I kind of agree. But we both think that he's sort of transitioning, obviously, because he's still in the gaming industry, as he just said. But he's probably transitioning to an actual game development company or publishing yeah. company. I'm I'm kind of on on the side of I feel like he's gonna w- wind up with one of the big three because I don't know if working for necessarily one small company would be enough to potentially pull him away from from that sort of thing because I mean he built that he built that magazine from the ground up and the now I couldn't tell you necessarily what Andy McNamara wrote at Game Informer but. For a good, probably 15, 20 years, I read every single issue of that magazine Mm -hmm. and really enjoyed that magazine. And it never got to the point where I never felt like the magazine itself was shoving uh, GameStop down your throat. Like, I thought that they did a really good job of of not being the corporate shill that they could have been and that they could have been turned into. And I think that that probably had a lot to do with Andy McNamara pushing back and keeping some some sort of integrity to that magazine. Um, yeah, yep, I agree with that. So yeah, I I respect what he built. I I think the reason he's leaving is probably a combination of, like you said, wanting to do new things. But I really feel like GameStop is transitioning away from Game Informer. They've done. They started doing it like five, six years ago when they were encouraging people to sign up for the digital version of the magazine. And when they sign up for the digital version of the magazine, people don't read it. Yeah, uh, I didn't. I didn't read it. That's actually what killed my my continuing to read that magazine from cover to cover. Was they forced all of the store managers? They gave us a free game and or um, reward card with the discount but they forced us to have the digital version of the magazine. And I never read it after that because it, it loaded like garbage on everything. Like if you loaded it on a computer, it would load each page individually. 
So it wouldn't just download the whole PDF. It would go and grab each page off of the internet. And it's like, why don't you just give me access to a website rather than than loading this PDF in the worst way possible? Yeah, yeah. And then, and then they're even continuing it now. So like now, if you want to sign up for the discount card, they it's fifteen bucks to get the base card without the magazine physical. And then if you actually want the physical magazine, you have to pay twenty dollars for it. So Ooh, like, I hadn't heard that actually. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's like they're really pushing the consumer to not take that magazine. And I kind of wonder if Game Informer now is on a balance sheet as a negative for GameStop, that they're continuing to, to place hurdles in front of it to for to get it into people's hands. Yeah, well, and there's so I have a couple of theories about that. Um, and, and actually that was part of me, my thought of him leaving is I wonder if he sees the writing on the wall, Yeah, you know, if, if he sees that they already cut how much of their staff recently. So you've got that. And then, you know, if he was making so much that he might've been next on the chopping block being there that long, the dude probably makes a lot compared to other people. Yeah. Um, and then, so there, so there's that. And I, I agree that I don't, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I don't know like, if Game Informer was ever profitable for them. Like, it might have been a sunk, like, it might have been a, 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 a an expense that was worthwhile when you were tacking it on with the Game Informer, you know, dis, with, the, with the, I almost said the edge card, <laughs> with the power up rewards, <laughs> the edge card, when was it last called the edge card? Uh, probably about 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, oh, perfect. That's about when I worked there. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I, I, that's what I'm just wondering is if maybe it became a liability. And so now it's just, well, it never really made money, but now it's sinking more money than we perceive it to be adding value to our company. And, and obviously the company's also in a tough spot. So, you know, for lack of a better term, they're trimming the fat. And I wonder if Game Informer is part of that fat. And, and I agree with what you're saying too. Like the idea of, like I'm torn, right? Because the average person, I, okay, sorry, I'm trying, I, like I have like four branching thoughts here and I can't even get to the first one to get to the other <laughs> ones. But I think the average person doesn't care like to read the magazine. Like the average person, like, and, and I know you and I sold this a long time. Okay, so Game Informer subscriptions is what you sold and it came with a free Power Up Rewards card. I never sold a single subscription to Game Informer pitched as a subscription to Game Informer. Every one I sold was a discount card that gives you discount on games and we throw in Game Informer magazine. And I know that was the incorrect way to sell it according to the advertisers who were upset <laughs> that GameStop was like, you know, saying that, hey, this this magazine has like 10 million subscribers. It's like, well, yeah, but it's because we're signing people up for free for, for free, you know, and we're telling people that they're getting the magazine for free and not paying for it. And so I remember there was a lot of wordage back then, like a lot of, 
a lot of verbiage, I should say, that was change how you sell this. You have to sell the car, you have to sell the magazine and then you get the card for free. And I remember I never did that. I never did that. I mean, that's not how you get your numbers, man. You know, and for a company like them that they're so crazy about getting your numbers, like you got to do what you got to do to get your numbers. I should say within the legalities of it all, a lot of, a lot of stores cheated. I never cheated, but I, I sold it how I knew it would sell, which was we're selling you a discount card and giving you a free subscription to Game Informer. So there were a lot of people that subscribed that I don't think cared about the magazine either way. And then there's the whole idea that all of the world is going digital, you know, and and obviously printing a paper magazine is much more expensive than simply delivering a PDF to someone's email. Um, But I am 100% with you that as a PDF, as an email, I get it wasn't being read nearly as much. Right. I, I would totally agree with that. And so maybe that's why advertisers were pulling out. I mean, advertisers might just be pulling out anyway, you know, because, game, you know, they see the writing on the wall. And, you know, I think Game Informer magazine, like they got they got advertisers to buy in with kind of inflated numbers. And I wonder if that's ever come back to bite them. And now they're they're struggling to to get advertisers to pay for the magazine, you know? Well, I, I think also they're, they're probably looking at internet advertising as like, we can advertise through Google AdSense and we can know that we're hitting the correct demographic that we want to hit because we can, we can look and be like, all right, we want to advertise the people that are into motorsports. Uh, that are baseball fans that are into politics. And Google can be like, all right, yeah, we can deliver an ad specifically to that guy. Yeah. Uh, and I, I have this experience because I was literally going through my Google AdSense yesterday uh, going, what in my Google interests makes you think I want to see Trump ads? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to, trying to delete whatever the hell was continuing to feed me those ads i could not figure it out they're uh, they're tracking everything <laughs> man they're, they're tracking your twitter usage they're tracking your facebook tracking everything yep. um so so yeah i guess my my i've i always liked game informer as well like as a magazine i respected that it was the last one that was printed i thought the covers roy's fantastic the story like they it was well written uh i liked it the only issue i ever had with game informer was their review system and I, I think it has reverberations through the industry still today in the sense that they made 7 out of 10 an average game. So in their scoring system, it's 1 to 10, 1 being the worst, 10 being the best. A 7 is an average game. A 6 or a 5 is an unplayable mess, according to their system. And then <laughs> no game rarely does a game ever get a one or a two very rarely so you'd argue that like if it's a 10 point system five would be average you know below five would be below average above five would be above average right like that that kind of makes sense it's almost like they're mixing their number system with like the high school grading system of you know a d pass fail 65 plus is a pass yeah And, and so so i always hated that because they would often give games like a lot of games got sevens. And then there were some months where I think I, I, I recorded like when I was working at GameStop and I, I wish I could go back and look, there was like a two or three month period where not a single game got under an eight. 
And I, I remember looking at that, and, and, and I can't prove any of this stuff, but I feel like since they were owned by GameStop, they were even more beholden to the publishers than they would be if they were just a magazine getting free review copies of things. Because mm-hmm. they they had a company that was trying to work out deals with these com- with these companies. They were owned by that company. It wasn't just like as a blogger or as a blogger, someone's trying to, you know, they want to keep up getting their free Gucci bags every time they go to review one. And if they give it a bad review, they don't get Gucci bags anymore, which is bad enough on its own. But here you had a company that was trying to make deals with other companies and be on a good side, purchase things from them, have that company pay them to advertise. Oh, and by the way, we're going to review your games. And it just seemed like there had to be some unspoken rule there where like you would not give certain games under a certain score. It, it just, it just like, like, cause then they're all of a sudden they're like, well, it's a terrible game, 6.5 out of 10. And so you could be, you could, you could take that to the develop to the publisher and be like, Hey, they gave it a 65% out of a hundred, you know, it's, it's above average fifties <laughs> average. You know what I mean? And so it always just felt kind of off to me. That was the only issue I ever had with game informer. Otherwise I thought it was neat. I always liked that there was uh, you know, I just, I just liked it. I liked having a physical magazine and I still get them. <laughs> Like I got the Resident Evil 3 one and I put it in the bathroom. It was great. I still get mine as well, but I'm going to let it expire because uh, they turned the discount card into something that's not useful for me anymore. Are you talking about the $5 per month? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I so, actually do find it's okay. D- Dave ends up using it every single month. He- he's he's taking that things to the ma- he's taking that thing to the max. Yeah, but if if it still gave me the 10% off, I would get more value out of it. Yeah. No, I, the, I agree. Yep. Them transitioning it away from the 10% discount on pre-owned games has made me shop there less. Mm-hmm. So, and that was yeah. even when I was, uh, when I wasn't super bitter about the whole COVID crap that made me want to swear off of them completely. Yeah. Like, I I started buying stuff elsewhere because I realized that it wasn't a good deal anymore. Yeah, I could see that. And I, I thought it was crazy when they transitioned out of the 10%. I mean, I get it because I think when they break it down, $5 per month is going to – like I think they have the numbers to show that they're going to give people a lot less discounts. But on the flip side of that, if you have those numbers, that means you know you're giving people a lot worse of a discount. <laughs> I mean, and you think but, the, and if you think the customers won't know that and find that out, then you're wrong. They will. I think the ma- a major factor was that a lot of customers were annoyed that they never got a discount on new. Sure. And so that $5 can be used toward anything, not just pre-owned. Yeah, that's actually, that's fair. That's fair. But but I bought a lot of new and I bought a lot of pre-owned. So like to me, taking away my incentive to buy pre-owned was kind of a nail in the coffin. Yeah, I see where you're coming up with that. What I think, what I think uh, they should do with Game Informer, if they're going to push all digital, is that they should they should look at Kotaku and they should look at other gaming blogs, and they should make a member membership gaming community that is a portal to go to to look for information. Yeah, and have it be a website that is visually pleasing has a good community element to it that you can interact with with other people and interact with the the writers and whatnot and 
and have it just be turned into into a great website because right now it's like their digital version is just a joke i wouldn't recommend anybody buy that that thing for digital only yeah well and and you see what you know like look what look what online communities are doing now you've got discord servers you've got all these other like ways of interacting and they're coming at you with like a non-interactable just a pdf emailed to you yeah I mean, and is, is it even a PDF though, or do you have to go online to view it? It's it's a PDF, and uh, like it it looks it doesn't work in your iPhone. Like that's that's another major thing. <laughs> like like it, it works in your iPhone, but it's so damn small that it's very not easy to read. So like they should have they should have revamped it to work on most mobile phones and have it yeah. be. Almost like Flipboard, um, the Apple app that you can download. Like, have it be like Flipboard, where you can flip through each article and read it, and it's nice and nice and easy to read and big. And I think that would be a good transition. But right now, what they're what they're doing with it is just dumb. I, I would I would prefer the physical magazine still one hundred percent over the digital. Yeah, but well, I'm I'm excited to see what Andy McNamara does, and I want to see where he ends up. I hope it's not something completely behind the scenes where where we never hear from him again yeah he could be a good pr person probably for somebody you know and and who knows maybe getting back to game informer who knows maybe it'll change again once they uh you know with these new board members on there too and there's a little bit more influence about the decisions they're making so who knows maybe 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 game informer slash uh the power up rewards card will make a be changed again so you never know um but so moving on from that now, this next story is tough to talk about because I told myself, I made John agree that, um, oh, I got to mute this page because otherwise it's going gonna, it's gonna to keep on talking. Um, so there was big news last week, right? So one of, one of Twitch's largest streamers, one of their biggest stars, Dr. Disrespect, who I don't like at all. I've made it very clear. I've talked about him. He was the one, if you don't remember, a couple years ago. He cheated on his wife and then he took a break from Twitch and then he came back to Twitch after his break to more money than like anyone's ever made in a single day or something or like he made more money on his comeback than he would have made in all the months he was gone. Like it was crazy. It was something really nuts. And I remember thinking back then, like, first of all, I think if you cheat on your wife, you're like just the biggest piece of trash, you know, and I'm sorry if, if someone <laughs> listening to this and, and we're friends or if you if you like it and you cheat on your wife and you're currently cheating on your wife I, during this podcast. Yeah, if it turn us off, you guys are laying in bed right now, <laughs> but please <I'm>, cease. <laughs> yes. Um, first of all, if, if this is what gets you going, I mean, <laughs> hey, how you doing? But let me just say. Uh, I, 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 I guess I mean offense. I don't know how else to say it. I find the, the thought of cheating, uh, on a spouse to be like one of the highest levels of shittiness, you know? And, 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 and I, you know, and if I lose a listener cause that, sorry, I, I don't know what to tell you. I think it's, I think it's deplorable. Um, and so anyway, I, I, I said that, you know, I mean, I, I, I said that. And then I also said when he came back, I said things like, like who's watching this guy, you know, like, like why, why do people want to see him so badly? Like this guy's a piece of, a piece of garbage. 
And, uh, and, and what's funny is I was trying to find the video that I put up because I wanted to read the comments. There's a whole bunch. I got a whole bunch of comments uh, on that video uh, along the lines of, well, you know, you'll never be a sex successful as doc, you know, doc, doc, you're just jealous of doc. I get that all the time. Like that was, that was the weird thing. Like they all call him doc. Hey, you're jealous. You'll never be as successful as him and you hate it. Oh, you're fat. Like, okay, well. Yeah, I mean those are all those are all fair, accurate statements. <laughs> but what I try to tell people all the time is some of us do this, Twitch streaming, YouTube videos, podcasting, not to make it their career. A lot of people do this because they enjoy it. It's a creative outlet, and because we have something we want to say. And so I could certainly go on to social media and just blast stuff out, or I could do it in this form. I choose this form because why not? And apparently there's people who like to listen to me. So <laughs> it, since we have listeners, hundreds of listeners to this podcast, so in I don't the know. Dozens. They're, they're in, <laughs> we're in the hundreds. We get multiple hundreds of listens per week, which I always find incredible because I feel like I'm just throwing this out into the void. And, and I have some really cool people that come into the store that say they listen to it. And I'm very happy about that. And, um, and I have no visibility on any of those metrics. So I, I feel like there's like four people listening. Yeah, yeah. So you even less. Um, and, and you and you think I'm totally a, a failure. So you don't believe I could ever be successful. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah. So anyway, there were those were the comments, right? Like, oh, you're jealous of Dak, Dak, and whatever. It's fine. I just, I'm, I don't I'm like a shtick. Like yes, and and that's the to thing me. Is, sorry, go like ahead. I don't like I don't like people that are characters online. Like that, and and he's a rather detestable character. So I would prefer I would prefer to just have somebody be themselves right. and and just talk to their fans and like whatever you want to be funny. Like, sure you can you can joke around, but like I feel like he's to the he's almost like a professional wrestler. Oh yeah, uh, in his yeah. shtick, that's very accurate. I think. Um, no, I, I totally agree. And, and I, I would also be like you where I would, I'd rather see someone like genuine and watch someone and chat with someone genuine. I get why people would like the character. Like I, I, it's kind of funny. And really, I think what people want to see is they want to see someone kick an ass. And so if someone's really good and, and he is very good at the games he plays, it's fun to watch someone kick ass. And then you throw in a little bit of that swagger and a little bit of that attitude. And, and it is almost over the top. It's almost like a, an Adam Sandler movie villain. You know, like it's it's very high levels. <laughs> he's <laughs> very high levels. Um, he's Ben Stiller in every Adam Sandler movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so but but whatever. Right. So he but he gets banned and, and, and that's a big deal. And, and and it's a he's one of the biggest not only did he get banned twitch refunded all of the people that paid money for a subscription to him they refunded all of that so that's all been done and the crazy thing is this all happened last week we still don't know why twitch has not said why dr disrespect has not said why he says that twitch has not given him a reason but he hasn't said that he doesn't know why he would be. He just said that Twitch hasn't given a reason. So very careful usage of words there. And and what I made John promise, the point I was getting to was that we aren't going to speculate. Because one thing I kind of hate about this story is that everyone and their mother seems to have a thought about what it is. And really, it's only three thoughts or two thoughts that have been just regurgitated online and wiped out. Um, I mean, there's people out there saying that, you know, he assaulted someone and that Twitch was paying them off to be quiet. 
and that they were going to come out now that the you know that there were a lot of people over the last few weeks coming out with stories of abuse in the gaming industry which is true um and then you know there were people who were saying oh no he's just leaving to to uh you know, he's going to start his own streaming service with these other guys or, Oh, he's joining, he's joining Spotify is going to have a streaming service, all this other stuff. And so we're not going to speculate, but I think it is a big deal. Uh, I think Twitch banning one of their largest, most money making streamers is, is a big deal. And I'd really like to know why. And I can't wait to know why. And we'll probably talk about it when we know why. Um, but it was weird because, and I actually was looking into some info. I didn't know this John. So I looked into him a little bit more. So apparently he he used to be a developer for Call of Duty at Activision Blizzard. Really? Now, when it says developer, now this is an ESPN article, so these guys are dum-dums half the time when it comes to video game stuff. So he might have been, you don't know, he could have been QA, he could have been a PR guy, I don't know. But it says he joined Twitch when it was still Justin TV and made him name for himself with his streaming persona, Dr. Disrespect, while wearing a mullet, wig, sunglasses, and a tactical vest, which is what he still wears today, uh, and spouting <laughs> a, seem- a, seem- a seemingly endless series of catchphrases. He benefited greatly from the rise of Battle Royale games, rising to prominence while playing PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds. Um, and then it goes on to say that this isn't the first time he's been in trouble. June of last year, he was streaming at E3, and he followed. he like went into a bathroom, and was like streaming in the bathroom, which had people like in the men's room and there were guys and little kids using the bathroom. So I don't, you know, I mean, the little kids, I don't know, but you don't know what their ages were. doesn't matter. Um, but however, earlier this year, just earlier this year, Twitch signed him to a multi-year exclusivity deal that reportedly paid millions of dollars per year. Hmm. So he had a multi-year, multi-million dollar contract. Um, and, and so again, I would love to know more. Um, uh, and now ESPN went as far as to say, as of Wednesday, there are no warrants or pending charges against him in San Diego (laughs) County. (laughs) So ESPN's doing the dirty work here. That was a positive. Yeah, you know, he has not. They just looked up Dr. Disrespect. Yeah, they just did a Google search, uh, a CCAP, um, uh, he has not been detained in any local or federal jails in or around San Diego. Well, right. uh, congratulations, Doc. <laughs> congratulations. Uh, and then there is no official word from Twitch on the length of the ban, although independent sports esports journalist Rod Slasher Breslau reported on Friday that the ban is permanent and is not related to any DMCA takedowns that have occurred across Twitch for use of copyrighted music. So they're saying it's not the hmm. thing where he was using copyrighted music, and it is a permanent ban. That's all we know. Um, and then, of course, like I said, there are uh, more conspiracy theories uh, about his disappearance, including one that he and other influencers m- would move to a live streaming platfar- uh, platform called Brime, or another co-owned by Spotify and Google, but those have been debunked by various reporters. Google owns YouTube, who who themselves have poached other streamers from Twitch for YouTube gaming. Um, It also could be, um, you know, a million other reasons. That's what people are saying. So, again, we're not going to speculate. I'm going to wait for the truth to come out. I was actually really hoping it would come out by today so that we could talk about it. Um, But... Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't think Twitch is any worse off without him. <laughs> no, I don't think the are the youngsters, our youths, are any worse off not watching them. 
And uh, there's, yeah, go ahead. There's a couple things that surprised me a little bit. I'm surprised that he hasn't announced like, like, hey, stay tuned, like for some something, because realistically, he could transition to YouTube or wh- whatever other format right. he would want to relatively easily with a click of a few buttons he could go to a go to a competitor and he hasn't announced that so i'm kind of wondering if if there's still part of his twitch contract in play that is preventing him from doing something like that um i'm also surprised that uh people like um like has ninja or shroud like transitioned away from mixer yet like have they announced what the hell they're doing um, well, I know they're both free to do whatever, and I'm pretty sure Ninja's going to go back to Twitch. Twitch? Um, well, I'm just wondering, has he started yet? I don't know. Good question. I'm, I'm sadly not the person to ask about anything esports or streaming oh, related. I, I just don't follow it. I just don't care. But, I mean, if you have $30 million dumped into your lap, uh, you might you might be like, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a couple weeks off. <laughs> yeah, 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 I would, I would. Although it's funny you said that because I, I was, I don't, I'm not a drama alert channel, uh, and I, and I, I won't ever be, but there was a funny Twitter back and forth between, I think his name is QXC. I did a story on him like a couple years ago because he was like in chat saying some really nasty stuff. He's like a pro, I think he was a pro Overwatch player. And, uh, and so like he was talking mess about Ninja's wife and then Ninja stepped in. And then Alinity stopped in, who's a female streamer, the one she throw she she's thrown her cat a few times, like spit vodka in its mouth and stuff. That you might have okay. heard of her. Um and uh and so anyway, like she chimes in like this and that, and then he mentions her throw like, haven't you been banned for throwing your cat yet? Or something like that. Like it was it's a whole thing. Just just uh Twitter Twitch stream drama. <laughs> which I know you're a big fan of. I just, I just wanna Yeah, I miss just wanted to catch you up. So my for people that that are not aware. My opinion is I don't want to watch people play games. I want to play the game myself. So I don't watch like any of these people. The only time I am pulling up a video is if I'm like stuck in a game and there's like a specific thing I'm looking for. And I'll usually speed through whatever the video is until I see where I'm at. And then I'll watch it for like two minutes and then I get out. So Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't watch people stream games. I don't watch people play games. Uh, I'll occasionally do it, like, if my friend is playing a game and we're talking on, like, Xbox or PlayStation, like, voice chat. If I'm just, like, not in the mood to play a game, I'll watch my buddy Kevin play something for a little bit. But even then, that's pretty few and far between. Yeah, I I actually am in the exact same boat. I don't watch... I, I I have a hard time watching anybody play games, whether it was streaming or just like in the house here. Like I could never just sit and watch Jenny play something. But I mean, but what's weird is she loves to watch me play games. So it's like this weird sort of, but I, I don't like to. However, I have, I think everyone gets into something somehow. Like when I was at the store and I was really into Daisy, it was fun to watch Daisy streams because you can have them on in the background. Nothing happens for like two hours. And then a bunch of stuff happens at once. And so there's this really weird sort of like, it's really calm and relaxing. And then all like the world falls apart. Um, but more so what I really have gotten into lately was watching a lot of speed runs. 
I don't know why, but I find them incredibly interesting. I don't typically watch them live. I usually watch them after the fact, but like watching somebody beat, you know, punch out blindfolded for crying out loud or like Castlevania in 13 minutes or whatever it is, you know, 11 minutes. That's, that's super cool to me, but I totally yeah. agree. normally I'm like with you. I'm like, I, I talked to somebody today and you know, it's no disrespect to him or anything, but he's like, Oh yeah, I just finished watching last of us too. You know, like he, he said that he's like, I just, I watched someone play it. I watched it in different parts and I was like, Oh, interesting. Like I would never watch someone play a game like that. I'd want to experience that, but yeah. Um, but you know, and that's not so bad. There's actually a, another type of customer we get, which I think is a little, a little more strange, but a lot of, some people will actually associate watching the game with playing it. Like I've asked yes. people, I, I've asked people like, Oh, Hey, did you play the new red dead Two? I did. I did. It, well, I mean, I didn't play it. I watched, you know, so-and-so play it, but it's really good. It was really fun. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I mean, I, again, I'm not it's, telling. It was really fun. Yeah. yeah. And I've, I've heard that. Great. Yeah, I've heard that. And I'm just kind of like, that's weird to me that you associate watching someone else playing it with playing it. But whatever. I don't care. I don't care how people consume the games they want to play. It doesn't matter to me if that's what makes them happy. But I'm with you that I... I don't consume games that way. I consume games by playing them, not by watching somebody else play them. Yeah. Red Dead 2 of all games, too, is like, I found it boring. Like, I found playing the game boring. I can't imagine watching someone else controlling the game yeah, for I, 20 hours. Yeah, like, I, hey, sweet, this horse's ass looks great. Yeah, I feel <laughs> I feel like that's, uh, yeah, I'm with you 100% on that one. Um. So, okay, so cool. So we're going to get to... Um, like the five, five more cool and unique things from our collections. So we're going to try it a little differently than last time. If you listened last time, we, John did his five and then I did my five. I think, right. I think this time we're going to go back and forth a little bit more. I, just to kind of break up the monotony a little bit. So John, though, I'm going to throw it to you first. What, what's your first like unique, weird item you're bringing to the table today? So again, everyone this is stuff from our personal collections that we find to be either expensive unique rare uncommon like just things that maybe you've never heard of or that that's kind of kind of strange all right so do you know the developer reality pump does not sound familiar to me okay um do you remember what game came out for xbox 360 about a year after Oblivion that everybody thought was going to be the next Oblivion. Are you talking about two? You're not talking about two worlds. I am. Two worlds. Okay, sure. <laughs> All right. I'm very so. familiar with two worlds. I wrote a whole episode of name tags taking a dump on that game. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, two worlds was a turd. Um, Indeed. And Two Worlds 2 was also similarly pretty turdy. Turdly. Um, But (laughs) for some reason, Two Worlds 2 got a really fancy Game of the Year edition in the PAL region. And it's kind of awesome. So it's on Xbox 360. Uh, It comes in one of those, like, faux velvet box or book boxes so uh with a nice 
so what's weird metal. About, yeah, so what's weird about that is I'm gonna describe it here. It looks like a book. So they made a collector's yep. edition that looks like a book, but the front, spine, and back are a red velvet. Like I don't what what the hell books had red velvet. Am I crazy or is that like a was that a thing? Oh, all of the best erotica that I own has mm. these velvety covers. Of course it does. Now yep. it's got <laughs> it looks like it's got some cool gold embroidered corners and a logo on yeah. the front. Yeah, it's it's a really slick collector's edition. Um, it comes with a bonus disc that I have no idea what's on there, um, and then it comes with a little pirate skull. Like w- when you're like a little kid and you go in an airplane, and like like you you'll sometimes see people get those little aviator pins for little kids. Sure, it comes with a pin that looks like that, but has like a pirate skull in the middle of it. All right. And the reason this is particularly awesome as far as uh, uh, collector's editions or or Game of the Year editions go is that, um, so Two Worlds 2 got a pirate-themed download content, and it came out, like, two years after the game came out, and was $45. Mm-hmm. Um, which Wait, the DLC was forty five dollars. The DLC was forty five dollars. How much was that stupid horse in Skyrim for a while, or an uh, Oblivion? Fifteen, I think. Oh my god, for horse for so, horse armor, yeah. Right. the The DLC for this was actually pretty hefty, and it also came with um. It, they added achievements to the game and whatnot. So if you're a completionist, like you might have had to buy the DLC. Well. This version of the game has that DLC on the disc. Excellent. And when I bought it on Amazon, uh, the DLC was still $45. I got this game for $20. Nice. So um, I, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, can, I, can oh, I, no, go ahead. Can I tell you a funny Two Worlds story? Sure. So the first Two Worlds, you are right. It, it, terrible game. Uh, not fun. Didn't like it. Um, there was sh- stuff in that game, like, for instance, if you jumped into a lake... Your character just went cold. He just said cold. <laughs> he didn't say I'm cold. He just goes cold. T- terrible. Like that game never should have come out. I don't know what they were thinking. I have 970 achievement points in the first game <laughs> out of a thousand. The uh, I'm missing one achievement. What what achievement are you missing? Um, there's an achievement for finding. It, it's for exploring all caves and dungeons and that would be easy to do if the map in that game wasn't a complete pile of shit Mm. uh (laughs) the map like it the user interface on the map is so confusing there's like icons on top of other icons that you can't move and so yeah the i could not determine which caves i did not explore and so i just i Mm. I live without having that achievement. And and you can live with yourself. So yes. when I played Two Worlds 2, because, hey, John, I gave the game a chance. In fact, part of the reason I gave the game a chance, I don't know if you remember this, when they sent out copies of Two Worlds 2 to GameStop managers, there was a little letter attached to it admitting how much of a pile of shit the first game was. <laughs> it literally was a note saying, hey, you know what? If you played Two Worlds, we know you were disappointed. We know the game wasn't that great, but hey, Two Worlds 2, much better in every way. And it was it was the weirdest letter, promotional letter I've ever seen. I wish I still had it. So I played <laughs> Two Worlds 2, John, got it for free. Of course, I'm going to play it. 
it actually wasn't that bad. It was it was what the first game should have been, and then you could have built off of that. What the first game was, you couldn't you couldn't build off it. Second game was whatever. But I always remember too that that game was constantly making fun of the first game, even inside yes, the game. Yes, it was. <laughs> so like, there's a part where you jump in the water in that game, and your character goes, "At least it isn't cold." And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> These guys, they made a game just to dump on their other game. It's just, it's such a, it's like so weird. Like they're not admitting because I would assume it's the, the same studio. Yes, it is. The voice acting is so bad in the first one that, and and they. They talk in like old English, mm-hmm. so they'll be like "forsooth mayhap," blah blah blah. <laughs> and then, like in the first five minutes of Two Worlds Two, your character, which is the same character from the first game, uh, like runs across the, another NPC, and that NPC starts talking like the characters from Two Worlds One, where they're like "mayhap this," <laughs> and the two the the main character's like "shut up, no one talks like that." <laughs> that's just excellent man that's outstanding but to, to, so, yeah to be i fair, actually though, did enjoy two worlds too yeah it two worlds two is a is 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 a fine like it's fine it's just it's sh- that should have been the first one <laughs> and then two worlds two should have been much better but oh my god <laughs> so what have you got for uh for your first item okay so first up today uh i'm gonna talk about my my metal gear solid let me see if i can switch my screen back to to me here so my Metal Gear Solid 3DS, it's, Ooh, a Jap- nice. it's a Japanese console, and it literally has the texture of snake skin on it. Is that, that's the emerald green one, right? No, this is the all-black regular 3DS. Oh, it is? Okay. Uh, and yeah, so it feels like snake skin. Like when you run it over the top, that's the texture of it. It is. Have you taken it out of the box? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, I have, sir. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's still sealed because, well the 3ds is not region free so i couldn't use it as my primary system because of that i'm gonna pull this out of here real quick um yeah so it's still brand new i basically just took it out to to touch it a little bit um but it's it's really cool man like obviously i'm a metal gear that is pretty sweet i'm a metal gear fan anyway and obviously the name of metal gear solid 3 is snake eater uh, and you literally do eat snakes in the game, but then to have a 3DS system, like textured like snake skin, oh, it's so cool, dude. Uh, and so I'm a Metal Gear collector anyway, but this would have been a hard system to pass up, just because of how cool it was. And I got this; it was Japan only, and I got it. Uh, I got it for my birthday from a friend a few years ago, probably five or six years ago. Now that I think about it, um, but yeah, great, great gift, and um. I mean, just the fact that that game was even put on the 3DS, I thought was weird. You know, like, <laughs> have you played it on the 3DS? Uh, no, but I heard it's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one of the games that I know uh, allows you to use that uh, Circle Pad Pro attachment. Yeah, pretty much that and Monster Hunter is what you really need it for. Um, but John, what is your second weird and unique item of the day? All right, so. Oh, sorry, I got to switch back to you. <laughs> oh, nice. So, I have the Final Fantasy Tiny Bee Guns, uh, which is a incredibly not ergonomic or useful controller for PS2. <laughs> um, and 
So you get two handguns modeled after the handguns from Final Fantasy X-2. And uh, when when you do the, I think one of the like limit breaks or overdrive, whatever the hell the, the uh, power moves are in the game, you can pull the triggers to do that move faster. Because um, <laughs> those look wild. Yuna, yeah, they're cool. Uh, I found out one thing. Because I haven't opened this box in about, like, probably eight to ten years. <laughs> and so it comes with this cool base that you can put the guns on. Oh, that's so, sweet. Okay, yeah. So, looks kind of neat. But... I'm with you so far. The black part of the base was covered in, like, a... like velvety Ew. like texture sure so it's and sticky. now it's covered in a gooey <laughs> gross texture damn it that i was not expecting when i opened the box and so that's amazing. so i'm gonna have to like figure out how to get that off of there because it's super gross so so how did that work how did that accessory work did you so you would have to have your normal ps2 controller or was, was that actually the controller that is actually a controller. So there's um, one controller has an analog stick uh, okay. uh, right there. And then the trigger is one of the buttons. There's another button on the the hilt of the gun. The start button is on the side. And then there's a button right on the grip. Nice. And then the other gun has the D-pad where that analog stick is on the other one. Um and then the same other buttons on there. Now, and then there's a little there's a little thing on the bottom that you can pop off, and then you plug a cable in that connects the two guns together, nice. and then you plug it into your your console. I was just gonna ask if it was wireless or if it was wired. Nope, wired. Yeah. But yeah, um, don't buy one of those if somebody says it's sealed, because it's probably gonna be real gross. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so. Now this next one for me is like it's a two-parter. So it is it's my second and my third. So then you'll go after this and then Are you are you just doing all of the Metal Gear consoles that you own? Is that all five? <laughs> no, no, but this is another Metal Gear uh related. Well, so these that are my surprise me. <laughs> these are my MSX copies of the game. So Metal Gear uh, was originally created for the MSX computer system in Japan, which we never got an MSX here. Uh, it's kind of a, it's like our Commodore 64, roughly. I mean, like the idea of a hybrid game console slash, um, you know, video game console. Well, Metal Gear was eventually, as we know, ported to the NES, um, a, an inferior version, but still a good version all the same. It's totally playable. I think the NES version's fine. Got a lot of us hooked on Metal Gear. MSX version definitely better, but NES totally playable. The second one that I'm going to talk about, though, is the game that we never got in the States. Not until they put it on the compilations. Uh, this one first appeared in the U.S. on the collector's edition of Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence for um, PS2. They actually okay. had a bonus disc with the original MSX versions playable. So this is Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. Not Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. Now... If you ever played Metal Gear Solid, or if you've listened to the Metal Gear, if you've listened to Metal Gear Salad, my Metal Gear podcast, oh, how many episodes are you on 
we're, we're oh, only Matt, by we, the way. we've only done two, and we're about to record okay. the third one. And the third one is Metal Gear Solid because each 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 episode is a as a game. Um, and so if you've played Metal Gear Solid, they talk they reference a character Gray Fox who you fought on the minefields of Zanzibar land. Well, if you were like me and you played the NES game and then you played the NES only sequel Snake's Revenge, which is not canon, you're like, who the hell is Frank Yeager? Who the hell is Gray Fox? What the hell is Zanzibar <laughs> land? Well, that all happens in this game. This game, Metal okay. Gear Solid 2, is, takes place in Zanzibar land. You, uh, Gray Fox, who is with you in the first game to help you, um, you fight him in this game. Uh, you fight him in a minefield in Zanzibar land in this game. Uh, and this game, first of all, should have been ported to the Super Nintendo. I'd, I'll never understand why they didn't bring this to Super. But fine, whatever. Uh, is it more graphically impressive than it, the it first is, game? It is a huge step up graphically and um, one of the best soundtracks in all of video games, in my opinion, like this has one of the best soundtracks hand down of any video game I've ever played. Uh, and this added all the things that made metal gear solid. Great. In fact, in Japan, people thought metal gear solid was a remake of metal gear two because it, it integrated a lot of the same things. Like the, if you played metal gear solid, there's the whole puzzle with the temperature changing key cards where mm-hmm. like you have to go into a warm room and then the key card changes to a certain shape and then that's used to unlock a certain door and then you have to take it to a cold room. It changes shape, you go to a different door. This has that in it. Um, this game also in- introduced the Solidon radar system. So you have a little radar in the corner that tells you where enemies are and what direction they're looking. It's crazy. Like this game is excellent. Um, it's, a, it's just one of the biggest shames of retro gaming is that it never came out here in the U S in any capacity, especially the super Nintendo, or, I mean, you could have arguably put that on the PS one, but obviously they were already working on solid by the time that was coming out. Plus I'm going to guess because Kojima was really working on a lot of stuff after this. Um, like he was working on police knots snatcher. Like there was so many other projects that he was a part of and maybe just, they didn't want to have anyone else, but him port it. Maybe, you know, to a different console, yeah. kind of like with the NES version, because the NES version of Metal Gear was kind of pathetic compared to the MSX version. But it's not bad to us because it's all we had. But yeah. if you were in Japan and you had an MSX computer and you played it, and then you played that, and you're like, well, then you played the NES version, you're like, wow, the NES version sucks, or the Famicom version sucks, what they would have said. Did Japan even get the Famicom version? Oh, yeah. Or did they port the shit version? Yes. Yeah, you can get you can get uh, Metal Gear for the Famicom. Yeah. Do you own that? Uh, do I? I do not. Now I want to look that up. Actually, maybe I'm wrong about that. I'm pretty sure it came out though. Because if I had to guess, it would have come out in Japan first. Yeah, you can get it. It's uh sixty bucks, roughly sixty seventy bucks. <laughs> hmm. Ugh. Ugh. What color is the cartridge? Is it green? It's black. Okay. It's a black cart with uh the with Kyle Reese on the cover from Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> did did the second game get ported to Japan too? The the second game was only on the MSX two. No, the the uh the crap American version. Oh, did that Snakes go to Revenge. Japan? Uh I'm pretty sure it did. Because that's one of the infamous stories. Uh well, oh hold on. Maybe not. Maybe not. 
We can do this in real time. Uh, oh, there's a PAL box. That's kind of cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no more European games, Greg. No. Um, it actually was only released for the NES in Europe and North America. It was not released in Japan. Snake's Revenge huh. was not. Um, but that's... And what's funny, though, is it was designed, you know, by Japanese developers. So they made the Japanese developers made a sequel and it never came out in Japan. That's that really, would be weird. That's very weird. That'd be weird to make something that nobody that you know is going to end up playing. Yeah. Hey, let's make a game for only Europe and Japan. And then none of your friends can play it. For dumb um, white people. And, and that's one of the... <laughs> That's one of the stories is that one of the people that worked on this game was on a train and was on a train with Hideo Kojima. And he had told Hideo Kojima he should make a proper sequel to Metal Gear because they made Snake's Revenge and it wasn't good. I mean, that's kind of like, that's kind of, I mean, it's translated differently, but basically like it wasn't a true sequel. He should make one. And that's when he started designing Solid Snake and apparently within one day had it all written up and ready to go and took it to the higher upset economy to to, so, to green light metal gear 2 so how long between metal gear snakes revenge and and metal gear actual metal gear 2 was there was it was there a number of years between the two like between when snakes revenge came out and then metal gear 2 yeah well, let's take a look so in north america this is actually also interesting in, in north america metal gear or snakes revenge came out in april of 1990 it came out in europe in march of 1992 it took two years huh. to get that game to come out in Europe, which is really weird. Um, so, okay, so we know it was April 1990. So now let's do Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake. So Metal Gear Solid 2 Solid Snake came out. Well, this says July 20th of 1990 in Japan. So that would that would tell me that the game wasn't finished when that conversation took place. So like okay. when that developer was on the train, he must have said like, "Hey, you should make a real Metal Gear sequel because ours isn't as good as yours would be." Or something we're like crapping that. one out. <laughs> yeah, and and so normally I would look at that and say maybe let's see. Um Yeah, so, he, so here's the story. Um Following the success of NES version of Metal Gear, which sold over a million copies in North America, Konami began development of a sequel on the same platform titled Snake's Revenge, designed specifically for the overseas market. Because I don't think Metal Gear sold that great on the Famicom, but it sold really good in North America. Hideo Kojima, who directed the first MSX2 game, was not involved in either of the NES versions, did not have any plans to develop a sequel himself at the time until he became reacquainted with a co-worker who was assigned to work on Snake's Revenge on a train ride in Tokyo. The co-worker revealed his involvement with the project and encouraged Kojima to create his own sequel. By the end of the train ride, Kojima had already envisioned the basic premise for the game. After undergoing a business trip to the sales division of Konami, Kojima successfully convinced his superiors to approve the development of Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake with the MSX division. So it was basically made at the same time <laughs> and then came out a few months after. <laughs> that's funny. That's wild. So so that's kind of my second and third. So, John, what is your third? All right. So my third thing is i just hit myself in the head with the box oh, it sounded <laughs> like you cracked open a soda pop you cracked open your dome nope nope that was me hitting my head 
so this is the Konami. I forget what the hell the website releases are called. You probably know. Um, what do, what is it called when Konami releases their games specifically on their website? I don't know. Okay, that's well, a great, that's a great question. I don't know because they do a number of them, or they they at least used to um, back when they made games. And so, <laughs> good point. Fair point. This is the pro version of a game called Otomedius Gorgeous, which is a spinoff of a spinoff. So, Gradius is a side-scrolling shooter made by Konami. They had a spinoff called uh, Paradis or Proteus, depending on how you want to pronounce it, uh, which was basically a parody of all of the Gradius games. Uh, and then this is kind of a anime girl sexed up parody of Paradis and Gradius. So you have the ships from from Gradius, like Vic Viper, but smack dab in the middle of Vic Viper is a giant anime girl with big old boobies. Right. Uh, and All so right. the I don't know why this game is an Xbox exclusive title, but it is. Um, and this version of the game came with a fight pad, um, which is useless for pretty much any game but this game. Uh, because as you can see, uh, Greg, there are only four buttons, and then there's a giant black touchpad. Mm -hmm. And the giant black touchpad is for one thing only. Um, while you are picking which girl you're going to play as in the menu system, you can use the touchpad to touch their boobs on the menu system. Mm. And... <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's uh, three achievements for touching their boobs like 79 times, then like 279 times and then like 761 times or whatever. So I need you to answer and, this, I need you to answer this question honestly, John. Do I have that do achievement? Do you have yes. a thousand? <laughs> <laughs> of course I have those achievements. I do not believe I have a thousand points in this game. Hmm. Um, but they built a single use, very sturdy, very expensive fight pad to touch some boobies in a menu. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so so it's got the four face buttons and yep. our and our key stick yeah and wait so it's a, well, it's a 360 right yeah so it's got the four face buttons and then is there a start and select back start back start. and then the touchpad so no no shoulder buttons no triggers right oh so like if you wanted so you to play even like use it for like a fighting street game. fighter oh, yeah man. if you want to play street fighter you wouldn't have enough buttons to remap your buttons to start yeah <laughs> heavy kick is start <laughs> heavy heavy punches back <laughs> what so a yeah, pile this is this is useless for pretty much anything else i paid 350 dollars for this nice <laughs> when did you buy when did you buy that uh i bought this back when it came out um it it originally came out in 2008. What's, what's so, it called? I'm going to look up its value. What's it called? Um, Otomedius Gorgeous. Uh, let's see if I can spell it for you. O-T-O-M-E-D-I-U-S. Uh, gorgeous. All right, let's take a look here. I think it's like Konami Style Edition or something like that. 
Uh, let's see. Uh, well, uh, let's see here. Hold on. Come on, eBay. Don't don't fail me now. So. Oh, but no, oh, none of none of that version has sold. But someone has just the arcade stick up for like three fifty. Okay. So the game itself seems to be worth about forty to forty five bucks. So you're you're yeah, you're, the, you're ahead of the game so far. <laughs> the weird thing about that game, so there is a version of Otomedius that came out to the US called Otomedius G. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it got a pretty nice collector's edition on Xbox three sixty, but it is not the same game. It is actually a sequel. And so the version that came in this box uh, was exclusive to Japan. You could buy you could buy it without the fight stick, uh, but but it's a version that you could only play um, on a Japanese console. Uh, besides the fight stick, you also got giant buttons that uh, you could pin on your clothing of all of the characters from the game. Mm. All right. Well, that sounds so what, like a that, that that sounds like a that sounds like a John ass game. Yep, it, <laughs> it is. Yes. <laughs> All right. So my fourth today isn't really necessarily a rare item, but it is a a pricey one. So, uh, I have my mint ah. in box copy of Earthbound. For the Super Nintendo, uh, this uh, comes in a big box. So we only ever got Earthbound in the big box. It was a, it was the game, the box, and the strategy guide all together in one pack. This was something Nintendo did a few, uh, did a couple time, a couple places around the world. Uh, they did a Legend of Zelda big box, a Link to the Past, I think only in Germany, and then there is a what's the a, a Super Metroid big box in Europe. Which basically was the strategy guide, the game, and this big box. So for us, the only one we got like that was Earthbound, which might also explain why Earthbound sold terribly here, because you could only buy it in this expensive, oversized box. You couldn't just buy the game. Um, plus, it was a late life game, and they didn't make very many anyway. And I, I could see people who loved RPGs like you look at the, the the graphic style of this game. It looks terrible. I love Earthbound. It's <laughs> a very, very very soft spot for me. But if you look at like the the graphics of Earthbound, they look terrible. Um, and so Earthbound though is, is a great game. Uh, it's a game I hated for many years without playing it because I was just sick of listening to people talk about it. And I used to hate <laughs> the game. And then this was probably about seven years ago. I was at it was one summer at my store when I just opened it was still pretty slow and I just cranked on it for like two weeks during the summer and I beat the whole game and it just I fell in love with it and and, and I love that game it's so good and it's it's quite forgiving for RPGs at that time because you're used to playing games like Chrono Trigger whatever Final Fantasy you die you start over from your last save point no ifs ands or buts in this game if you die you lose like half your money. You go back to the last time you used a telephone and then anything you've cleared is already cleared. So if you're like halfway through a dungeon, you're already halfway through it. Um, and so it, it was it was quite forgiving for RPGs go at the time. Plus, it was a neat little sci-fi adventure of like just a, a kid from a small town going on this like kind of grand adventure. And uh, it, it definitely deserves all the love. And 
we deserve to get Mother 3 or what would be Earthbound 2 on the Game Boy Advance, we deserve our translated copy. And I'm very surprised that they haven't announced a Mother collection for the Switch and just do Earthbound you know, 0, 1, and 2 or whatever you want to call them. And to, to clear up the confusion, Earthbound is what they called the Super Nintendo version when it came here. I know you know this, John, but yep. for the listeners, um, it was the first game is on Famicom, which was apparently fully translated and ready to release in the United States. But by the time it was about to come out, the Super Nintendo was either out or about to be coming out, and they didn't want to release it such a like a Nintendo officially released game that looked bad compared to the new stuff they were releasing. And and so they didn't release it, and that was called Mother. And so then this game, which we got on the Super Nintendo, which we know as Earthbound, is actually Mother 2. And then they did a Mother 3 for Game Boy Advance, which they also only left in Japan. They did not bring over here ever, which... You can get fan translations if you want to play it, but my God, like what a great series that we don't, we never got. It's, 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 it's another one of those missteps in like retro gaming that I'll never understand. Like, especially since the first one, which is affectionately referred to as like earthbound zero, that game was fully translated and ready to go. (laughs) Like it was finished and they just were like, eh, we're not going to physically make it and forget it. (laughs) Like that was Nintendo. They they did kind of redeem themselves a little bit by putting, I think they put uh, Earthbound Zero on the Wii Shop that you could download. Did they? Okay. Yeah, and then I think they might have also put it on the uh, the Switch downloads thing. I could be wrong about that. Um, mm, I don't think it's on the Switch. I'd be pretty okay. I know I know regular Earthbound is on the Switch, isn't it? Uh, I don't think that's one of the Super Nintendo games, actually. Oh, it might be. Well, they they put it out widely on on the Super Nintendo Classic, uh, which is nice because for a long time, you in order to buy that game, you'd have to pay two hundred bucks for it. Hmm. So, but yeah, Earth Earthbound is one of my favorite games ever. Um, I have I have the import of the first game, Mother uh, Complete, uh, and then I've got the cart only for mother and for earthbound. Um, but I do not have a legit copy of three. I have a, I have a fan translated cart that I think I bought from you. Nice. Um, I, I have, yeah, I would, I have mother three complete for GBA and I have my earthbound and then I do not have the original mother for Famicom. I do want to get that sometime. I don't know why I don't have it. Like that's something I could easily go get, uh, yeah. online. So, Huh. Um, well, they also have that GBA cart that has Mother One and Two on it as well, which is kind of neat. Oh, really? I didn't. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Well, damn! Now I gotta go buy that. Thanks a lot, John. <laughs> um. <laughs> um. Okay. So <laughs> this is what these this is what this turns into. Like, I just give you a bunch of like leads to to things that you don't know exist. And you're like, ah, oh, crap! Now I gotta buy that. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that happens. That happens a lot, actually. <laughs> um, so, what is your fourth item of the day? All right. So, I have a copy of Final Fight Guy for nice. the Super Nintendo uh, in the box. That's amazing. Which the box is really difficult to find uh, in decent shape. Um, which mine's got some dings on it, but. Uh, this was a blockbuster exclusive title, uh, and because it was a blockbuster exclusive title, 
it was very difficult to find a copy of the box that didn't get the hell beaten out of it or right. get they, covered in giant stickers and stuff. Because they used the box as a display. Yeah. So I actually got the cartridge separately, and then I I managed to get the box from a friend of mine uh, years later to complete my game. I don't have the book, um, but I'm I'm happy with just having the box and the uh, the cartridge. Which supposedly they released this game outside of Blockbuster. Do you like? Do you know if that actually happened? I've never heard of that. No. Okay. But yeah, I, I have all of the uh, the Final Fight games on super in decent shape. Um, I the only one I don't own is Mighty Final Fight for NES, which is not a good game anyway. It's it's not. I kind of want it, and I had a mint one come through the store years ago, but I didn't love the game, so I passed on it. <laughs> so now it's like if I have to go get it, it's twice as expensive. <laughs> oh yeah, I also am missing Final Fight CD for Sega CD because uh, the only time I ever see those is like. Um, that was one of those crappy cardboard box games. Yep. And I only ever see it where people have cut the cardboard box out and then <laughs> put it into oh. a real uh, plastic case. And so it's like, uh, that I don't want that. I, I've seen that more times than I care to admit. Um, I actually have Final Fight CD. Uh, I what? have Final Fight 1 and 2 mint in box for Super. I'm trying to find a copy of three and then I've got final fight CD. Yeah. That, that took me a I've long a, time to find in good shape too. That was really tough to find. I've got a Greg ass copy of final fight three. Yeah. Oh, dang. <laughs> oh, well, Yeah, it's minty. Well, Oh, well, <laughs> not happening. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So my fifth game then of the day is, uh, let me switch it over here for you, John. I have a copy of the Diablo 2 Collector's Edition for PC. Now, I don't know about you. I didn't know this existed till about five years ago. Okay. Uh, I, I worked at... I, this was this came out the summer after I started working at GameStop. Um, okay. It's, mine is number 23,000 out of 70,000. Um, it included a bunch of cool stuff, including like a, a role-playing, like Dungeons & Dragons type game. Uh. It's, it's basically Dungeons and Dragons Diablo. Okay. Um, and so I love Diablo 2. I, I would argue that Diablo 2 is the greatest sequel ever made in video games. I just think it, 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 it to me, obviously, it's opinion. Um, but, but just an incredible game. Um, and I had no idea that he had a collector's edition of this. I was there when we were selling them at GameStop. I mean, I remember selling Diablo 2 by the truckload back then. Never even heard of this <laughs> thing. And then someone came into the store like a regular and said, hey, you know, looking to sell a few rare things, you know, how much did you pay for this Diablo 2 collectors? And I was like, uh, what do you mean Diablo 2 collectors? <laughs> like, like I was, just, I was like <laughs> stupefied by it. And anybody who knows me and knows I've been doing this forever knows I may not know something or know a lot about something, but I usually know it exists, right? I usually know it exists. I had no clue. And he brought it in, things in like damn near mint condition. I'm like, this is amazing. And so I took it home and I have all the Blizzard games, like I have all the Blizzard games, uh, big box ending collector's edition. So like I've got, you know, Starcraft and Brood War in the large boxes. I've got, 
the Warcraft 3 Collector's Edition. I've got the original big box for Diablo and the Hellfire expansion. Like, I have all the Blizzard stuff. And so when I saw that, I'm like, yep, yep, I got to buy this. Just, like, something I just never seen before. And actually, let's see hmm. what it's going for, because I don't... I haven't looked it up in a while. When did they start standardizing their collector's editions? Was that with the World of Warcraft games? Where they're all kind of the same form factor? Yeah, yeah. It's really obnoxious. Like, (laughs) none of them are the same. It's awful. Diablo 2 collector's edition. Let's see. Well, uh, well, well, let's see here. Well, haven't seen one even up for sale yet here. So, yeah. <sighs> what the hell is this? Uh, well, maybe there isn't one. Oh, you know what? I know what the problem is. I, I sorted it by uh, shipping lowest first. So, realistically, people are buying it for 400 bucks. Holy crap. <laughs> that's awesome. Damn. Oh, man, that's way more than when I bought it. That's sweet. I'm I'm pretty happy about that. That's pretty cool. That's that's one of the cool pieces in my collection. So, John, what is your final uh, cool collector's piece of the day? Um, well, I have a real one, but I also have a question for you. Uh, do you own this version of this game? I do not own that version of that game. I love this game. <laughs> um, I just have a case because uh, this was back in the day when. Uh, GameStop was just throwing away cases for DS games, mm-hmm. um, which is just barbaric, um, <laughs> to say the least. And thank yep. you, thank you for rescuing a bunch of them by giving them to me. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so Konami uh, released some really amazing uh, Nintendo DS Castlevania games, and one of them is Castlevania: Dawn of Sorrow, and. For some reason, Castlevania re-released this game on the DS in like a kind of a greatest hits version, which um, companies in Japan do that all the time, where they'll they'll have like the best of or best price edition. Mm-hmm. Well, this is called the Konami Best Play It edition <laughs> of Castlevania Dawn of Sorrow. The reason why it's awesome is that instead of just making new art or putting that Konami Best of banner <laughs> on top of the existing art. The, the the box art is a picture of the old box art, uh, complete <laughs> with two Konami logos, two ESRB logos, and two Nintendo DS spine logos. So they just literally, just... yeah, they literally took the box, the cover art, and just shrunk it. Like they took it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is outstanding. <laughs> There's some great photoshops online of like people doing infinity boxes of this, mm. where it's just like, like 30 of them that just get progressively smaller just, and smaller. Uh, that's, that's like the, the ugliest boxes I've ever seen. I'm with you though. That's cool. That's, that's hilarious. Yeah. I love that. I wish I had a complete, I'm kind of curious if the booklet looks like that too. <laughs> Amazing. I kind of wonder if, uh, what a sealed copy of this would go for. <laughs> uh, um, but, but, but what's your actual one? Oh boy. I see the top of that. <laughs> Whew. So, my actual one is uh, Pokemon Box Ruby and Sapphire That's for cool, the GameCube, uh, which I got to I gotta get a box protector for this, because there's definitely some, some crappy lines on it. Um, so, I bought this off of Nintendo's website, 
probably 12, 13 years ago um, with the dog bone controller for NES for this was 20 bucks. Ooh. Um, and like you see conflicting reports online uh, claiming that uh, the it, you could only buy it at like the Nintendo World Headquarters store in in uh, New York and all that, and it's all bunk. Um, you could get it on their website, or you could get it from that store. Their website was really weird though, because back then the the website was more for like buying replacement parts for your consoles. Sure. Uh, and then they randomly had this game buried in there as well. Um, but one of the the cool thing about this is obviously you've got the disc, and then it comes with a two color uh, Game Boy or not Game Boy Nintendo GameCube memory card uh, that's exclusive to this collection, and then you also get a Game Boy to GameCube link cable. So that way you can transfer your Pokemon back and forth. Mm-hmm. Now this game sucks. It's just a Pokédex that allows you, or it helps you basically transfer Pokemon back and forth between Ruby and Sapphire. Mm. Um, but it's one of the most expensive and rarest games on the GameCube, as you know. Yes. Would you like to know what one with the box and everything in great shape sold for recently? Uh, sure. Uh, seventeen hundred ninety-nine dollars. Holy balls. <laughs> yeah, that's wild, man. And and there was actually one that sold for 25 but it had a sealed game, and then the other stuff was open. Holy balls. So funny story about that. So I have a Animal Crossing that came through the store once. It's actually the copy I bought. Uh, Wait. Do you have the crazy-ass one? Define crazy-ass one. Uh, do you have the one that was like sent out to people prior to release? Uh, I don't, mm, I don't think so. What, what makes that one okay. special? I don't, I don't think I've heard that. Um, there was a special version of Animal Crossing that they sent out to like, I, I, I'm not even going to throw out a number cause I don't remember what it is, but, um, I've been seeing it pop up lately on Reddit and online. Um, and it, it's like an exclusive early edition and they wanted you forums and talk about the game and like like it was almost like focus testing okay um and then they also got a calendar that came with it and on the cover of the game was like a special little blurb that told you that it was a special version of that game and then i believe the disc is different as well oh okay it's like founder's edition or something like that interesting so i don't know anything about that that's cool that's cool to learn um, no, what's interesting about mine was when it came in, it came in with the Animal Crossing memory card, right, that comes mm-hmm. with every copy of that game. Except I was confused because the memory card it came with has an Animal Crossing sticker on it, but yep. is blue and red. <laughs> so someone took hmm. the memory card out of that Pokemon box, slapped an Animal Crossing <laughs> sticker on it, and put it in the Animal Crossing. So I have the memory card at least. So I got one part of it. Excellent. So uh, they <laughs> so there's a very incomplete copy of Pokemon Box out there somewhere. Yes, I have a very I have a very incomplete copy of Animal Crossing and of Pokemon Box. So um, did do you did you take that in yourself? Where like you actually took the trade in? Yes. 
Did you ask them, like, if they owned Pokemon Box and if they could bring it in? I didn't. Like, so this was a long time ago, and I remember just thinking to myself, well, it must have just been, there must have been a version of Animal Crossing that came with this memory card. Like, I don't know what I was, like, at the time, you know, you looked it up, like, six years ago, there wasn't really any info on it. And I thought, oh, well, maybe, you know, because I'd also seen, like, black ones with the Animal Crossing stickers. Like, well, maybe, you know oh, well, you know, maybe it's just they did different versions or something. But I'm like, but the black ones are bigger. You know what I mean? Like, it was this, at the time, I mean, I know now, better now. But at the time, I remember thinking, like, oh, cool. It must just been, like, a unique, must just been a unique thing. Cool, cool, cool. You know, and then I moved on from it. Didn't even think twice about it. And then once I, once I found out about the Pokemon box, saw the memory card, I was like, hey, I know that memory card. <laughs> I have that memory <laughs> card. <laughs> uh, so it was funny. But That's cool that you have a memory card. Um the the European copy of Pokemon Box is not nearly as rare because um, I believe they included it with a copy of uh, the Pokemon like the Gale of Darkness or whatever the hell it was oh, called. Sure, um, it, it was like a double disc case where you got the that, but you didn't get any of the cool extras. You didn't get like the memory card or the um, the Game Boy to GameCube connector cable and whatnot. Hmm. All right, John, what do you have as your game of the week this week? Uh, you know, I'm depriving you of, like, 13 years from now, when you finally get up to PS4, uh, your game of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Believe me, the people watching, they'll they'll forget by then. They'll be, they're seen yeah. <laughs> Uh So my game of the week uh, is Dead Cells. Dead Cells, all right, great game. One of my favorite games... Um, I it's a rogue roguelike side scrolling platformer. It's got a very like Super Metroid vibe to it. Um I I feel like I break a lot of controllers on the Xbox mm. with this game, uh based on the way that I've played it. And then um there are I have a love hate relationship with it because I'll like a weapon and use the hell out of it, and then they put out a patch that nerfs it. Yeah. And it's like Damn you! Now I have to figure out a different favorite weapon to use. <laughs> but yeah, Dead Cells is awesome. Uh, it's on Xbox One, PS4, and Nintendo Switch. You can even play it on your phone and Bluetooth a controller to your phone. Um, uh, it's also on PC, and the PC version is awesome, and I'll never be able to play it because my PC's dead. But the PC version is cool because in Steam, it allows you to click a drop-down menu and you can revert back to any version of the game that existed. Yeah. So, like, yeah, that's neat. Dead Cells version 1 is a drastically different game than what is available now. And so you can go all the way back, like, three years into the past and play that version of the game. Which is just awesome from a gaming history standpoint. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, so what is what do you got for your game of the week? So I have Fatal Frame for PS2. Uh, it is a horror game that, uh, like, you're you're it's is a Japanese horror game where you can only see the ghosts when you're looking through your like magical camera. So you'd be walking around a house, and then you have to bring this camera up to your face, which turns you into first person view. And it's a uh, it's got just full of jump scares, that really creepy Japanese horror, you know, that just makes you feel kind of gross and weird and off. <laughs> And it's, it's fun, you know, if you like horror games, like Fatal Frame 
was it was unique at the time too. Tecmo made it. It was really cool. Now they've kind of milked it. Like there's a few Fatal Frame games. They've done a lot of them now since. But yeah, very cool. Uh, if you if you're into horror games, very cool. Uh, do you prefer that one to the second or third game? Mm, I don't have a preference. Probably. Um, okay. I think they're fine. Like the, they're third, all good. the second one, I thought was a lot better than the first one and uh i felt like that was where that game really like that series really took off and got noticed nice nice so what's uh what's in your pickup pile of the week john i'm I'm pushing hard i've got uh i gotta get out of here in nine minutes all right (laughs) (laughs) all right uh I'm wondering what's going on in nine minutes. <laughs> oh, oh, you don't want to know. All right, pooping. Um, so my pickup pile is pretty small, so don't worry. Um, so I got Owl Boy uh, for Switch. Nice. Uh, which I got on clearance at Walmart. Um, grip uh, for Xbox One, Airblade versus Rollers Ultimate Edition, uh, which they added. That's the oh, one they ahead. made. That's the one they made the logo that looks the same if you flip it upside down, right? Yes, it is. Wow, cool. I didn't notice that <laughs> until you said it. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um, this game's actually pretty sweet. It's uh, it's Wipeout, but easier. Um, they, there was a game called Rolled Cage yeah. on uh, on PS One that was very that this is feels like the sequel to it. I have both of those games. I love Roll Cage, actually. So I, I do want to play that. It's on my list. Yeah, um, Grip, you can get uh, for like 10 bucks at uh, GameStop. Nice. Quality stuff. Uh, so, and then the last two games I got from you, actually. Um, oh, they must so, be real stinkers. Yep, I got <laughs> Root Letter, which is a visual novel, uh, mm. which there are two Root Letter games on PS4. Um, this is the first one. And then I got Earth Defense Force in uh, Iron Rain, uh, which is an import uh, that Dom was very nice to allow me to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can let Dom know this is not the good version of Earth Defense Force. <laughs> That's not to say that it's bad. Sure. It's just um, Sandlot uh, is the main developer of Earth Defense Force. And they make the really, really good ones that are just hokey and campy and fun. And then occasionally D3 Publisher will, like, pull in some other developer to make another one. So, like, I think Vicarious Visions made the Insect Armageddon one that was supposed to be, like, the Americanized version of the game. And it just didn't... It just wasn't good. Um, So this is better... Um, this is not the Insect Armageddon bad. This is actually pretty decent. Um, but Earth Defense Force 5 is the... It basically released at around the same time. And that's the one that's going to be more along the lines of a true sequel to Earth Defense Force 2017 and EDF 1 and 2 and whatnot. Um, that one is actually coming to the United States. Uh, uh, I forget what... Who the hell is publishing it? Oh, um, P-Cube is publishing that oh, in the U.S. No. <laughs> um, in, I think it's October. Um, so I'm I'm just glad that we, we're going to get it in the U.S. because I like these games. Uh, and P-Cube said there's going to be a physical edition of the game. Because 
I believe you can download the game right now in the U.S. as well as Iron Rain, but they just didn't put out discs in the U.S. for some reason. Interesting. Uh, so what does your pickup pile look like? Oh, man, I got a monster pile. Like last week it was paltry, and this week my, my cuppeth overfloweth. <laughs> so uh, a couple things. Uh, I got a, a mint and box copy of Goonies 2 for NES. Man, um, you like those Konami gold or uh, silver Yeah, they're, they're or pretty silver terrible. Boxes. This game is pretty terrible too, but, you know, I played it <laughs> when I was a kid, so... Um, this one I'm pretty proud of though. Got a mint and box paper Mario for N64. Nice. This was something I've been hunting down for a while now. Hunting down rare games right now is kind of a fool's errand because all the prices are spiked. However, with a new paper Mario coming out, I don't think this one's going to go back down. So I, I took the risk hmm. to, to go dive and get my copy early. Then I have a whole bunch of weird PS1 games. I was at press start games in Appleton and Zach's a friend of mine. And I felt really terrible that I couldn't find anything to buy from him like rare and cool. So I was like, you know what? I'll find just some pity bought a bunch of shit. Yeah. I'll find, I'll <laughs> find some PS one greasers. We call them. And so I'm going to start with test drive five. Got this right. for $4 nuclear strike. I got that for, I think $3 perfect weapon. Look at that kick, dude. I told you, look at that kick. <laughs> perfect weapon. This game is literally one of the worst games on the PS one. It, it is absolutely one of the worst games I've ever played. Had it when I was a kid, of course. And then I got San Francisco Rush for the PS1. Uh, those these are all like four or five dollars a piece. I was like, that, that that's a good deal for for PS1 like unique ones. Um, nice. I picked up a copy of Ridge Racer Unbounded. What a stupid word, Unbounded. Um, <laughs> I got my copies of the Surge Two finally from the GameStop deal the day a couple weeks ago. Nice. I picked up Cross Edge for PS3. Ooh, there's pretties in that game. Yeah. Uh, and then I picked up, I, I went, I found the list of original Xbox games that work on the Xbox one and ultimately okay. will work on the series X. So I just decided to look through the list and see like, what is there that I still need and that I would want to actually have. And here's what I came up with mercenaries. Okay. Uh, dead to rights. I actually like dead to rights a lot. Uh, Hunter, the reckoning. Why the hell this game is backwards compatible? I don't understand. doesn't matter. Uh, the original Halo didn't have this in my collection for some reason. Don't know why. Uh, Hunter's then, a great Diablo clone, by the way. Oh, it is. Hunter's great. Hunter the Reckoning's great. Uh, and then grabbed by the Bagulius. Uh, grab, <laughs> grabbed by the Ghoulies. Um, that's a rare game. Rare was already kind of starting to suck at that point, but it's fine. Uh, then, not really inspired by you, but kind of, we had a copy of the Trine Collection traded in the Ultimate Trine Collection. Nice. And then lastly, but not leastly, my Dreamcast version of Xenocrisis came in. So this is a game that I kickstarted a while back. I got a Genesis copy a few months ago, and then I hmm. also paid extra for the Dreamcast version. So now I have a brand new Dreamcast game called Xenocrisis. So. Does, it, does it actually say Dreamcast on the spine up there or no? It does not. It's not even the Dreamcast logo. It's like, that looks like something. So... But that's all I had in my pickup pile of the week for this week. We have our games of the week done. That is it for this week, everybody. It's already been a couple of hours. I don't know where the time goes, John, I swear. 
Um, <laughs> like, like I, I was thinking in my head, we're barely gonna have anything to talk about this week, so we won't even be able to get an hour, let alone two. Yet here we are. Um, so thank you everybody for listening and watching. You can of course subscribe on YouTube at youtubecom droprate. You can, uh, well, you can follow us or subscribe on Twitch at twitch.tv/thedroprate. Uh, hey, you can like my video game store. It's go to facebook.com/gametrade.peer. Let's let's throw that in there. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Game Trade Greg. You can follow John on Twitter at Dryer Combo. Um, we, we, we tweet out some wacky stuff sometimes. Um, and then, of course, again, I always say it, but I always mean it. Thank you, everybody, for listening and watching. We'll talk to you again next week. Say goodbye, John. See you. And we'll see you next time. Have a good one. Bye-bye. <laughs>